Everybody just give a nice, warm welcome to our very dear friend, Pastor Aaron. Wow, well, it's just a joy to be with you. My wife's with me and family uh, with you. Babe, would you stand up and say hi to everyone? This is my wife, Ui Lani. When Pastor John was saying, uh, you know, um, embrace the pain, I turned to my wife and said, embrace me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, it's great to be back. Um, You know, it's wonderful to watch the hand of God uh, just throughout the years. And I was just kind of, you know, uh, you guys will be here 10 years. That's crazy. Yesterday, 10 years. And, uh, but back in Bible college, that was 18 years ago. But did you know this? When we graduated, I came to Pastor John. I said, John, you should really consider coming to Hawaii and you know, doing ministry in Hawaii because you'd fit right in. There's plenty of Filipinos over there. <laughs> and Renee looks like a hapahaole girl, like my sister. She'd fit right in. But it was years later when uh, God called you here and and just the joy to not just be friends, but do life. And it's so cool. You know, like best friends where you can be apart and then you connect and it's like, oh, like you just pick up right where you left off. And so uh, that's really our relationship with not just John and Renee, but the staff here, the leaders, the church. It really is family. Uh, More than friends, it's family. And so great to be here. But turn to your neighbor and say, it's a new decade. (laughs) Holy smokes. Did you realize that? You know, today I want to I share with you a, a message that's called a, a 2020 vision for life. Now, not just your life, but like life principles. I don't know if you've ever been through seasons in your life where it's like you're in the thick of it, the storm is just raging, you have no idea which way is up or down. Have you ever been there? Maybe you're there right now. And you know, it's in moments like that where we need to have like spiritual principles, anchor points where when you can't see, you know you can head towards these things and God's got it. You know, he's going to be faithful. And so we'll look at that in a little bit. But uh, the reason being is, you know, we're standing at a new year, a new decade, and it's so easy to kind of you know, run to quick fixes. You know, uh, how many of you have started your New Year's diet? Raise your hand. Okay, we got two. All right, we're in trouble. Okay, here's, here's a more telling question. How many of you have already broken your New Year's diet? <laughs> Lord have mercy. God bless you. Me too. <laughs> but, you know, it's so easy to jump into quick fixes, uh, you know, in seasons like this. And so I want us to look at more than quick fixes or maybe even bad fixes, for the problems that we face. You know, there's times in my life where I'm going through it and man, I just try to fix it, but it's so bad. I remember a problem I had when I was in the second grade. And the problem was I had a crush on Janet Morishige. <laughs> Cute Hapahaole girl. If you don't know what Hapahaole is, it's half Japanese, half Haole or white, okay? Just like my wife. Look at my wife. But babe, <laughs> Janet Morshige had nothing on you, so don't worry. <laughs> but man, she was so cute. She had glasses and, you know, braces with the headgear. Yeah, that was her. And so, but she wouldn't pay attention one bit 
And so I figured, man, I got to try to relate with her. So this is a true story. I went home. I opened my mom's uh, desk drawer. I got a paper clip. And I fashioned it into like looking like retainer, you know, because she had braces. So I figured if I had a retainer, we would have something in common. And so I went to school the next day with my paper clip in my mouth. And when she, Janet Morishige would walk by, I would smile. How are you, baby? You know? <laughs> But she, she, didn't, she didn't catch on. So I had to be a little smarter. So I went home uh, that day, and I went to my mom. I said, Mom, uh, my vision is starting to get blurry. I can't see. Because I wanted to get glasses to relate to Janet Morishige. This is a true story. My mom took me to the eye doctor, and they did those clicky things, you know, all the tests. And I lied through the whole thing. <laughs> Now, the doctor knew something was fishy, so he, he put up the colorblind test, and I didn't know it was a colorblind test, because if you're colorblind, you can't see anything. And so he put up the colorblind test. He said, Aaron, uh, what numbers do you see? And it was like two. I said, uh, 32. Tree, you know, and I lied through the colorblind test. He knew something was fishy, so he came to my mom. He said, Anna, I think your son's lying through the whole test, you know. So my mom brought me home. She said, Aaron, were you lying through the test? And I said, Mom, I did it for love, you know. <laughs> but isn't it true we can have a problem in life and we, man, we do bad fixes in life. I'm kind of like uh, this story I heard of uh, this guy named Mano, he's Portuguese, and he was a pharmacist, but he would always give the wrong prescription to people that came in, and so someone would come in, you know, uh, they need Tylenol, he would give them cough drops, or, you know, they would need something else for, you know, something, and he would give them the wrong prescription, and so the boss got fed up. And the boss said to Mano, Mano, if you give one more wrong prescription, you're fired. He said, oh, okay, okay. Just then, big Hawaiian guy came in, and he needed cough syrup. So Mano said, I know just the thing. He reached at the top of the shelf, and he brought down something, and he handed it to the, uh, the Hawaiian guy, and it was a laxative. <laughs> and Mano said, oh, this will cure everything. Just drink it. You know, so the big Hawaiian guy drank the whole thing. And the guy went out. Just then the boss came in. He said, Mano, I told you if you give him the wrong thing again, you're fired. Mano said, boss, it'll work. It'll work. Guaranteed. And he said, no, it's a laxative. He needs cough syrup. Boss, it'll work. The boss said, how do you figure that? He said, look, watch. He's leaning up against the pole, the Hawaiian guy. That bugger is scared to cough. <laughs> Bad fix. Some of you just getting it now. And if it's an inappropriate joke to tell in church, I got it from my father, so blame him. <laughs> you know, today we want to really be people that sort of discern the times. Because I don't know if you looked around in the world today. Our world we live in is crazy. 
And it seems as if it's getting crazier. You know, it's almost like the world is falling apart at the seams. We're on the brink of war. I mean, it's like every turn you look, it's like something crazy is happening. But we don't want to look to just, uh, you know, uh, anything, quick fixes or bad fixes. We want to get back to really what the Word of God says. And where we will always have true north. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through. And the Bible promises this. Um, when life seems to be falling apart, it seems to be at the brink of war, you want to be able to understand the times and know what the right thing to do is the first time. In fact, there's a scripture in 1 Chronicles 12, 32. It's not in your notes, but let me read this to you. And this verse is about a tribe of Israel called the tribe of Issachar. And it was said of these people that they were so sensitive to the things of God and so close to the heart of God that they knew the times. And let me read it to you and see what it says here. It says this, Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Now, a little bit of background here. Issachar was one of the 12 tribes. It was said that they had such an understanding of times and the seasons of what was happening in the world. They were, because they were very sensitive to the things of the spirit or the things of the kingdom of God, they were very sensitive to God's direction. They had insight into things because of their sensitivity to God. Now, what's really interesting is the word Issachar, it means this. It means reward, compensation, benefit, or salary. In other words, what it's saying is they were people whose lifestyle rewarded others. It was like they were so sensitive to God and they knew what's, what the right thing to do with. And so if their friend came to them and said, man, I got this problem. You know, what do I do? They were so sensitive to God. They always knew what God would say and they would say that. They always knew how God behaved and they would give that wisdom. And their life was a benefit and reward to others. I believe that God has called New Hope Community to be a family who are benefits and people that are like compensation to other people's lives. How is this so? Well, it really is something of where Pastor John was saying, there's nothing like the presence of God. You know, all throughout the scripture, if you see, when people came into the presence of God, their lives were transformed forevermore. And so it really is, it's sort of like this, like our our lives are kind of like a garden or, you know, your landscape in front of your house, you know. And with a good eye, you can, you can really uh, create something beautiful. But if you leave your garden or your landscape uh, just sort of to kind of just let it go and you don't tend to it, there has a tendency to have overgrowth. And I think our lives are like that as well because, you know, we face so many different things in life and there's all this overgrowth that happens. And after a while, it's like, God, where are you? What are you up to? Where, you know, there's like no hope anymore. Have you ever felt that because of the overgrowth of life? And we need, as it were, uh, like a gardener, where I believe God wants to, on a daily basis, give us a preferred picture of your and my life. 
you know, the, the future and hope that he has for you. And he would come and say, you know, Aaron, there's a lot of overgrowth. Uh, we need to pull some weeds here. Or, you know, this area in your marriage, you need to fertilize that because it's a little lean. My wife would say, amen, hallelujah, Lord. <laughs> or other areas in life, you need to prune back. And we need to have God's perspective on life. If not, it's so easy to turn to a quick fix or even a bad fix. Well, Jesus is going to give us a perspective here out of uh, Luke chapter 21, 1 through 4. And I want us to read this together because with the human eye or the world's viewpoint and perspective, we would never see what Jesus is about to reveal to us. And we want to look at three, as it were, sort of clicks back to clarity. You know when you go to like the eye doctor and they do those clicky tests and, you know, clicking back? Let me give us three clicks back to clarity, but we have to see it through God's eyes. And let's read this story in Luke 21, 1 through 4 and see what it says. And let's read it aloud together. It'll be in your notes there. Ready, get set, go. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting two mites. Two mites are two little copper coins. Let's continue. Ready, go. So he said, truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God, but she out of the poverty put in the livelihood, all the livelihood that she had. You know, Jesus stops the disciples. He said, stop the train. There's value in this. Let's focus on this. And what he says is, there is value in this. The value isn't in the money or uh, or the, the value is not in the, the monetary stuff here, but it's in the heart. So you'd say, well, God, you mean you value the heart with which we do things more than money, more than anything itself? Absolutely. The heart with which we do things is more important to God than you'll ever know. The heart with which we do things. Let me give you three spiritual insights because life is crazy. But if we can get back to what God sees for your and my life, even when life is overgrown with problems, circumstances, we're at the brink of war, we'll always be people that understand the times and we'll always do the right things. And it'll be almost as if God would say, the anointing of Issachar will be upon you. But what are those three things? The first one, if you're taking notes here, would you write in? Number one, get back to God's heart. Get back to God's heart. What is God's heart? You might say, uh, we know that God's heart is good. God's heart is faithful. God's heart is reliable. His heart is nearer than you can ever know. His love never fails. He's loving. He's giving. He's forgiving. God's heart, he always gives his best. He's very intentional. He's very thoughtful. And the list goes on and on and on. We know this true or to be true. Uh, if you quote one of the most well-known scriptures, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. He's loving. He's giving. And what did he give? His only Son, he gave everything. 
Man, when God does something, he does it with all of his heart. It's kind of like the difference between doing something with all your heart unto the Lord and sort of just going through the motions. Have you ever just gone through the motions? We can do that at church. We come to church and we put our hands up and we sing all the right songs and we look really holy, right? Yeah, and we look super holy, but really what we're thinking about are the bills that we got to pay, you know, the stuff that I got to buy at Foodland after church, right? We can go through the motions, can't we? But here, listen closely. The goal of life is not getting back to church. It's getting back to God's heart why we go to church. Isn't that true? And we can do that with our marriage where we just go through the motions. And you know what that's called? Roommates. And you just become a roommate. And see, the goal of life is not getting back to marriage. It's getting back to God's heart for your marriage. Or with your kids. How many of you, your kids drive you crazy? Raise your hand. (laughs) Yeah. But the goal of life is not getting back to parenthood. It's getting back to God's heart in being a parent. And maybe you've had a lousy boss and you said, man, my job, I'm going to quit. My boss is so lousy. Well, pump the brakes a bit. Think about this. Who, who is it that gave you the job in the first place? God did. And the Bible says that everything we do, we ought to do unto the Lord. And so before you quit, remember that. Because maybe God placed you in that job for a purpose. To bring light into the darkness. And you're just about to quit, don't. Because just think about this. What if you're a light in the darkness and you catch heaven's attention? And God's just about to fire your boss and make you the boss but you quit because you have a bad attitude. Good for you. (laughs) See, it's not about coming back to the job. It's coming back to the heart with which we do the job. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 20, 1 through 21, and let's read what that says together about heart. Ready, get set, go. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. See, it's not just about keeping God's commands, but we have to ask the question, God, what pleases your heart? And before you quit, ask that question. God, what, what's pleasing to you? What's pleasing to you in, in my life? What would please you in my marriage? See, it's not just doing things. It's really the heart with which we do things. In fact, Ephesians talks about this. In, I mean, sorry, Revelation 2, 3 through 6 talks about this. And let me read it to you. It's not in your notes, but this is a verse about a church in Ephesus where they did all the right things, but they lost heart. And it says this, I know the deeds and your toil and your perseverance, that you cannot tolerate evil men or evil things, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left 
your first love. See, we can do a lot of God things even, but lose heart. See, what Jesus is saying is, it's not about just doing a bunch of things in life. It's about getting back to the heart of God. How do we do this if we've lost heart or what some might call we've gotten heart sick? Well, let me just give you a few symptoms of being heart sick. One is if we focus too much on the skill of things, but we lose the heart. Another would be, I don't know if you've ever done this, you just go into autopilot mode. Have you ever been driving on the freeway? And, you know, because you drive that route like every day, you know, you're coming back from work and you realize, wow, how did I get home? Right? You go on autopilot. But we can do that in life as well. We just kind of go on autopilot. Another, and I have a tendency to do this, is I, where you stop dreaming God dreams for your life and future. I heard a quote uh, go this way, that uh, it says this, that a healthy heart has a thousand dreams, but a sick heart only has one. See, when you're sick, it's like you got one desire. It's like to get healthy again. And when you stop dreaming God dreams for your life, maybe it's time to get back to heart. Another would be when you lose purpose or you lose hope or there's no aspirations in life and you started just going through the motions. It's time to get back to God's heart. How do we do that? Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 tells us. Let's read that together. Ready, get set, go. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, what it says here is really interesting that stood out to me. And the part where it says, I, talking about the Lord, am gentle and humble. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but if I mess up, I feel pretty bad. I'm guilty. I feel ashamed. And it's like when I come to church, it's like, oh man, everybody knows. You know, so often when you mess up in life or you've strayed away from life, you know, what the devil just loves to do is lie to you and say, man, you're not worthy. You can't go to church. So we just stay out there. But the, the problem with that is our soul starts to just lean up. And we have a real lean soul. But here's what the Bible says is God is gentle and humble, which means if you've taken a thousand steps away from God, all it takes is one step back and he's right there. That's who God is. And it says it's really in the simplicity of our faith that gets us back to the heart of God. I know when I'm just sort of going through the motions, man, the best thing that, that I can do is get back to the basics of my faith. I, I just do long extended devotions and Lord, just speak to me. And I, instead of just checking off a box, just genuinely and authentically hang out with God. And whether it's in my prayer time and, you know, it's so easy to throw up a microwave prayer. But man, take some time and say, God, you know what? Life really stinks right now. I'm just going to be honest. How many of you know God can deal with your issues? He can handle your issues. 
And sometimes we just got to get real. And Lord, life stinks, man. And I know you're faithful, but I'm having a hard time. My goodness. And I just feel like I want to quit. But know this, he'll never quit on you. And however far you've walked away, it's just one step back. And he's right there. Maybe it's just when no one's looking, you're in your room and you just start worshiping and just call upon the name of Jesus. God, you're so faithful. You're so worthy. And yeah, there's the problems, but just put the problems on pause for a second and just give God glory. Because here's the truth. Think about this. Here's the truth is your problems will never fix your problems. There's only one who can. His name is Jesus. But I wonder how many of us spend all of our time, energy, money on the problems. Maybe it's time to get back to the one who can do something about it. Amen? Turn to your neighbor and say, that's good. You better take that one home. <laughs> Maybe it's time to get back to God's heart. Just the basics of faith. Number two, would you write in this next one here? Get back to the peace of God. The peace of God. The peace of God is so sacred and so holy. It's so important. It's so precious. It's more powerful than you can ever imagine. The peace of God. You know, the truth is this, is I am about to turn 40, believe it or not. I mean, you look at me and say, no, you're like 20, right? <laughs> I'm about to turn 40. And I'm coming to a place in my life where I've been through enough. I'm, I just don't want any more anxiety, stress, drama. Leave it at the front door. Any of you would agree with that? How many of you need more of God's peace in your life? I do. What does it say in the Bible about that? How do we allow God to fill us with his peace? Let's read together in Colossians 3.15 through 16 and see what it says there. Ready, get set, go. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful, and let the message of Christ dwell richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So a couple steps to peace. One, it says gratitude in your heart, which means just be more grateful. That's one. So be a little bit more grateful. Another one would be let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. In other words, what that's saying is if you think about it, just take a, a few moments to think about it. God himself loved you and me so much that with all his heart, he came to this earth laid his life down on a cross so that we might have life and life everlasting, not just in this lifetime, but into the next. That is rich. That's a rich message. That is good news, folks. And I think we can take that message that's so rich, that's so eternal, and kind of just make it another thing in life. Sort of like, you know, another option. Like, what kind of shirt am I going to wear today? A blue or red shirt? You know, um, you know, should I serve God today? Yes or no? Uh, you know, and we can take such a rich message of salvation, salvation, and just kind of make it another thing. It's saying, no, let the peace of Christ dwell richly among you. In other words, when you're going through problems, think about this, you're going to heaven. <laughs> We're going to heaven. Let the, the 
the, the peace of Christ also, it says, rule in your hearts. What does that mean? Well, the word to rule is a Greek word, brabeo, which means to referee or to umpire. So what it's saying is, let the peace of Christ referee your hearts. So what does that mean? So you're driving uh, on the H1 or you're, you're coming to church today and someone cuts you off and you're just about to tell them they're number one. You know, the bad way? Yeah. And you say, you know, just about to do that. But then the peace of Christ steps in and don't do it. Don't do it because they're going to see your New Hope community bumper sticker on your car. And then you're going to get convicted, feel bad, and you won't be able to sleep for three nights. And then they're going to call Pastor John and tell on you, don't do it. You know, whether it's a gesture, behavior. For me, what I wrestle with a lot is, you know, someone offends me, and I just rehearse that over and over. It's like, oh, I can't sleep. You know, we just, we got to get back to the peace of God peace of God. But I'm finding the peace of God can be really fragile. Or it's maybe a quick glance at bad news, or you receive bad news about your health, or whatever it might be. You run in, have a run-in with difficult personality, or your financial circumstances lean, whatever it is. But we got to allow the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts. Let the peace of God call the shots. Let the peace of God call the shots. You know, I find that there is one thing that is probably the greatest killer of God's peace. And if you're taking notes, it's not in a blank or anything, but you may just want to write this down. This is really important. The greatest killer of God's peace in your life is when we violate our conscience over and over and over again. When you violate your conscience over and over again. You see, God designed your and my conscience for a very specific purpose. Here's what the conscience is designed for. It's this. We have a conscience in order to, or so that we will not normalize evil in our life. That's what the conscience is designed for. It's like a good friend. That when you're doing something you shouldn't, they step in. Or sort of like a good friend that, you know, takes you out to lunch and you just had a big salad. And then you smile and you have a big leaf in your teeth. And they say, hey, you got something in your teeth. Oh, thanks, you know. It's like a good friend that when they see something that's a little off in life, they're going to say something about it. But a bad friend will see the leaf in your, your teeth and not say a word. What do you do with those friends? Get rid of them. Bad friends. But that's like our conscience. God designed our conscience in such a way that we won't normalize sin or normalize a separation from God, normalize evil in our life. And that's what he did. Can I encourage you, make friends with your conscience. Don't make enemies with your conscience. Because if not, then we can start to take the off things in life or the crooked things in life and normalize that. And after a while, it's like, you know, no big deal. It becomes who we are. But man, God has so much more for you and me. I remember I uh, 
went to Lens Crafters to get my uh, prescription adjusted. And so I go into the doctor's office and they do the clicky things and I get a new prescription for my eyes. And so then I was getting new glasses. So I took it to the the area where you get new glasses and really nice Vietnamese lady there. So I said, here's my new prescription. And she said, oh honey, I take care of that for you, no problem. <laughs> oh, thank you, she was so nice. And so I left, I came back in an hour and got my glasses, I put them on. The right side was perfectly clear. The left side was blurry. And because uh, of my stigmatism, it has to be on like a perfect access to be clear. So I, I kind of turned the glasses crooked like that and said, oh, right there it's clear so now my glasses is you know crooked on my face and I said can you just change the access we need to redo that oh honey I take care for you no worry I do for you you so handsome <laughs> and so thank you she was so nice so I went away came back after an hour and uh, she said honey it ready try this you know and so I put it on and the same thing it was clear here but it was you know crooked on this side so now my glasses is crooked I said right there it's, it's good can, can we check oh honey no I fix it for you uh, that your eye do like this like crooked honey <laughs> She was so nice. I said, okay. So I put my glasses on and walk out like this, you know. <laughs> but I wonder how many of us go through a tough circumstance and we have a crooked perspective on life now and we normalize that. You know, it could be in your marriage or with your kids or at work or whatever it might be. And we normalize that which is crooked. But the goal in life is not to normalize the crooked things in life. It's to see clearly what God sees for your and my life. And that's what the goal of life is. In fact, Paul speaks to Timothy, young Timothy, a protege, his disciple, about this and about the goal of life. Let's read uh, in 1 Timothy 1.5 and see what it says together. Ready? Get set, go. Goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. And so what he's saying is the goal of life is to love others like God loves us. But how do you do that with a pure heart or coming back to God's heart? It also says a good conscience or let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts and a sincere faith. Now, a sincere faith is an interesting word in the Latin, uh, which means sine sera, which means a faith without wax. You see, it's in the ancient days where people that were vase makers, when they would put the vase in the kiln, they would turn it up to a perfect temperature so that it would cure the vase. Now, if the temperature was too high or too low, then when they brought it out, there would cracks would start to show on the vase. And so uh, the honest vase makers would throw that away and start all over again. Now the dishonest ones, they would take that cracked vase and put wax in the cracks and polish it out to make it look like it was good. They would sell that and, you know, time would go on and the cracks would show up and the people would get mad. And so what it's saying is we need to love not just with a pure heart or good conscience, but a sincere faith or a faith without wax is what it's saying. In other words, we ask ourselves this question, where does the cracks in my faith really show up? If you think about it, cracks in our faith, they don't show up here at church. 
Because again, we come to church looking good and holy. Everything's good because Pastor John's watching, right? Where does cracks in our life or our faith show up? Here it is. It's in your and my relationships. That's where the cracks in our faith show up. Would you write in the third anchor point or insight here to get back to? Get back to healthy relationships. Get back to healthy relationships. Let's look at a picture of what God would say would be a healthy relationship. I'll read it for us. It says this, John 15, 8 through 10. You can follow along. It says this, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I keep, have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. In other words, what it's saying is, just as God loved you, love one another. Remain in that love. And when you want to quit, when you want to bail out, when you want to throw in the towel, don't, because you will not bear much fruit if you do so. The Bible says the blessings come when we wait for life to shake out, the problems and circumstances in life to shake out, because they will. Just give it time. Don't bail out. Get back to healthy relationship, because it's like this. You have relationships, and you have the problems in life. And if you think about the value of problems that we face or we bicker over that are so manini compared to relationships. Let me put it this way. When we get to heaven, there's going to be two things. It's a relationship with God and people. God and people are in heaven. And what it's saying is, man, we got to do those things right. We got to get back to healthy relationships. The best goal, I think, for this next uh, year and this next decade is just keep good relationships. The best gift you can give yourself and to others and to God is when you got a problem with someone, just let it go. Turn to your neighbor and say, just let it go. How many of you could use a clean slate? You're not, we're not perfect. I need a clean slate. You think about if it weren't for the grace of God, we'd all be doomed. But yet God gave his life for you and me that we might have a clean slate. Man, best gift we can give is just let it go. It was recently uh, I got offended by two people. They were Christians and leaders. And I thought, this should not be so. Man, these guys are Christians. They're leaders in the church. And man, I can't believe it. I was so mad. I was complaining to God. I was like, man, these guys are bozos, you know? You just got to kick these guys to the curb. I can't believe it. And so much so, I, I was complaining to my dad, you know? And I was like, dad, these guys are bozos, you know? I can't believe it. We got to get these guys out. And he said something that I'll never forget. He said, Aaron, you know, I've come across some bozos in life too. And he said, you know, Aaron, for some reason, God, for some reason, will bring bozos into our life. And he said, do you know why? I said, no. He said, this is why. Because as pastors or leaders or people of the church, you know, that want to be a part of what God's doing and want to be a part of his kingdom, we say this. Here's our prayer. We say, God, use me. 
Lord, let me be a part of your work. Let me be a part of your kingdom, what you're doing. And so God says, okay. So he takes a bozo and he puts it in puts that person into your space because God knows that if that person stays out here, they won't get better and better or more and more like Christ. So he's going to take that person, put them in the soil of your community, your space, because you said, God, use me, right? And then God takes a bozo and puts them right next to you on your staff or in your family or at work, (laughs) right? And then we say, oh, never mind, God, don't use me, not on this one. (laughs) We're laughing because it's true. And then he said this, that Aaron, I realized that, you know, the people that God really put into our lives, if you think about it, they're sons and daughters of the king. And so for us to kick the sons and daughters of the king out of the kingdom would not be what Jesus would do, huh? It's like, oh, dad, that's deep. And it was so easy at that point to just let it go. And I felt so good. Like this big weight lifted off, like when spiritual massage, you know. (laughs) I felt so good. And this is a true story. The next day, some staff members came up to me and started complaining about the same guys that I was offended at, you know. Oh, man, these guys. And I said, my children. And I told them exactly what my dad said. And they're like, wow, Pastor Aaron, that's so deep. I said, I made it up myself. (laughs) Man, I owe so much to my dad, I tell you. But I think if we're not careful, it'd be so easy to be like those hoarder shows, you know, you've seen that where they hoard things. But we could be people that hoard offenses and stack up all these offenses in life. And it's like, oh my gosh, life is so heavy. And we have all these burdens of offenses. And then we have crooked perspective. And so we're like this, like, you know. It's, and after a while, if, if we, we could see ourselves in the spirit realm, like the spiritual sense, you know, we would be walking around with all kinds of problems. Like just, you know, crooked eyesight, crooked back. I mean, it would just be a wreck. I think it's time to get back to not just healthy relationships, but God's peace and God's heart. Best gift we can give this year and into this decade, it just let it go. I want the peace of God to fill each of your hearts, where when you're walking each day, it's like, man, it's like a brand new day every day, where the mercies of God are new every morning. Let me close with uh, just... um, a scripture and uh, email that I received recently. But the Bible says this in Matthew 23 through 24. It's not in your notes, but let me read this to you. It says, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, like if you come to church, and there remember that your brother has something against you or your sister has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering to God. And what it's saying is, you know, we can come to church and we can throw up our hands and say, Lord, I want to be more like you. Lord, would you just fill me with your peace? But if there's stuff out there and if we're reminded, God reminds us in the, in the, in the same time we're worshiping, it says, man, right then, Lord, just, I'll let that go. Lord, you've, you've forgiven me. I'm going to forgive that. And, and what it says is when we do that, then we are actually 
living out an authentic faith without cracks. Because here's the truth is this, is God will bless who you really are, not who you pretend to be. You see, who we pretend to be, God doesn't bless. But who we truly are, when we come to him authentic with all of our cracks and say, Lord, I don't want to just fill this stuff in with wax. Lord, I need you to come and like make me whole. Would you do a miracle in my life? Would you bring healing? And I know I got to leave all this stuff at the altar, make it right, Lord. And would you do your work in me? What pleases your heart? That's, that's what I want. And we come back to him. You know, I was at the brink of 2000, or 2020 and I was thinking to myself, man, this last year, 2019 was nuts. It's just crazy. So much problems, you know, just so much stuff going on. And I was really discouraged. And I got an email from uh, my dad. He sent it out to the staff and elders and some of the leaders. And it just really changed things for me. I want to read this to you. Almost says like a charge for this next sacred decade. It reads like this. Dear friends, as I welcome in a new decade, I realize that none of, none of us knows if this will be our last much can happen in the next 10 years, and we have not been notified by heaven what those events might be. So first of all, although I cannot look forward with certainty, I can look back with a deep confidence about the blessings of friends like you. I am ever so grateful for those that God put into our lives to keep us from stumbling and losing hope along the way. Thank you. And similarly, I, want to, I am always stunned by God's amazing grace. I recall the miracles I never saw coming. And even with those ever-present doubts, Jesus still gave, gave us miracles that we never deserved. So I stand here eternally grateful for friends like you, who, like Moses, held up your hands while the battles were being waged. And for his grace that carried us this far. And now, here we are at the beginning of another decade, still alive. But there's still much to be done, a harvest to be reaped, souls to be won, and forgiveness to be given. So let us re-enlist. Let's, let's make this a sacred decade. And whatever comes our way, let's commit to either stay here strong or go home in glory. But in either case, let's re-up. Our best days are yet to come. Greater together. Pastor Wayne Cordero. Man, after I read that, I felt like I just watched a Braveheart movie. Freedom! Man, I believe that our best days are yet ahead of us. I don't know what kind of overgrowth is in your life, but know this, that we have a God in heaven that loves us so much, that has a future and hope for each of you. And if you will start to see what he sees for your life, things will start to clear up. Remember, life's goal is not taking things that are crooked and making that normal. It's seeing what God sees, a 2020 vision for your life. Get back to his heart. Get back to the peace of God. Get back to healthy relationships. And when you're, you're in the storm, you get back to those. You'll always be someone that knows the times and the seasons, and you'll always know what to do. Would you bow your heads with me?
Now, you might be here today and you'd say, Aaron, I got to be honest, man. It feels like I'm a thousand steps from God. Let me tell you this, that he's humble and gentle. All it takes is one step back. If you're here today and you'd say, God, I really do need to get back to your heart. Would you fill me with your peace? Let the peace of Christ rule in my heart. Lord, there may be some relationships that have gone astray. And uh, God, I just want to I just want to let it go, get back to you. If you're here today and maybe you're wrestling with one or three of them, and you're here to say, Lord, I need a new start, would you just lift up your hand right now? Say, God, would you come? Would you be Lord and Savior? Lord, would you bring wholeness and healing? Lord, let's make this next decade something of holiness, something that's sacred, something that's righteous. Amen. You can put your hands down. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy. Lord, we thank you for loving us so much that you came to this earth to walk with us, not just in this lifetime, but into the next. Father, we want to walk with you daily because life success is not reaching a destination of doing a bunch of things. Life success is walking with you every day in true contentment seeing what you see. So Lord, do that in our lives. We ask just your blessing on this wonderful family here at New Hope Community Church. We ask your blessings on the pastors and leaders to continue to give us insight and a vision for all that you have for this church and this community. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. Would you you give the Lord a hand because he's good? Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for letting me be with you. Church, let's stand. Can you say thank you again to Pastor Aaron just for coming down and sharing the word? Amen. And uh, something that Pastor Aaron neglected to say was when he made that pitch to come to Hawaii because there's a lot of Filipinos. First day, we went to New Hope Hawaii Kai in Hawaii Kai, and I'm like, Aaron, where are all the Filipinos at? <laughs> there's none. Uh, we have, he goes, you have to go to Waipahu, bro. <laughs> Kalihi, we got to go more west side. But anyways, the joy of serving the Lord. And remember, he just dropped this gem that the Lord, this Holy Spirit just dropped on me is that, man, God will not bless who you pretend to be, but God will bless who you really are. The Psalmist David says, a genuine and a contrite spirit. That's what the Lord desires. Amen. So with that in mind, let's lift up our hands and let's sing our closing song.